Hello, and welcome to the Death Culture Podcast with me, Mary Jane. I'm a registered nurse and the owner of MJD Legal Nurse Consulting. In the medical community, just culture refers to this idea that when errors occur, they should be examined closely and without judgment. It, to be honest, most errors, especially the larger ones, do not happen in a vacuum. So if we truly take a deep look at all the events leading up to an error and the factors at play, we can usually spot the weak link in the processes and hopefully prevent future errors from occurring. That's exactly what we'll be doing here in this podcast. Over the course of my career, I've reviewed hundreds of medical-related cases as a resource for attorneys across the country. I aim to use that experience, as well as my experience as a practicing registered nurse, to analyze medical-related cases, explore what went wrong, and perhaps learn what we can do in the future to save lives. Hello and welcome to the Just Culture Podcast with me, Mary Jane Duquette. So today I wanted to visit my very first negative review since um, opening MJD Legal Nurse Consulting and share with you what I learned from the experience as well as... um, just some takeaways from some recent conversations I've had with healthcare providers and feedback that I've gotten um, about the podcast. It, this goes beyond just your standard review uh, because these people I've had personal conversations with and it's really opened my eyes to a lot and I don't know, I wanted to share that with all of you. So, Without further ado, let's start with the negative review. So when I first started um, on LinkedIn and I was telling people that I was doing legal nurse consulting work, I remember I got this DM from, I don't even know who it was, somebody who follows me and they said, quote, all of you legal nurses are just out to get the license taken away from doctors and nurses who are doing a really good job and you're just out to get them, end quote. So, you know, right as soon as I read it, I was like, where did this person get this information from? If you followed me for half a second and looked at any pieces of my content, you would know that I'm actually about the exact opposite, right? And so I was very confused um, initially, and then that turned very quickly into, well, this person clearly has been through some things, uh, seen some things, maybe they've had their license taken away because of a medical malpractice lawsuit. Maybe there was a nurse involved in reviewing the case. I don't know what the circumstances are, and I really don't need to know. All I need to know is that I still have compassion for that person because of what they've been through. And maybe there are nurses out there who are out to get other nurses or doctors, and, and that is their motive for doing this work. I mean... They do it in the hospital, right? There's nurses out there to, quote, out to get other nurses and eat your young. And, you know, we don't like to say those words and we don't like to talk about it, but it's a very real part of nursing history is that when a new nurse starts on the floor, 
Um, now is a lot better. The culture is a lot better in some places, but in other places, that new nurse comes out at the moment in their career when they need the most support from their colleagues, they get nothing. They get, you know, I show up and I'm just a nursing student on this floor trying to get through nursing school and learn as much as I can. And this woman had like a dressing change or something that I my preceptor was like, hey, can you take my students so they can just watch? And this woman was like, I don't do student nurses. In five years from now, when she's a nurse and been working and she wants to come see me do XYZ procedure, she can. But right now she's new and I don't do new. I was new once. I've been through it and I don't I don't do that. And I'm not supporting anybody who's new. Don't even let her talk to me. I was right there, mind you. I was right there. I was looking her in the eyeballs as she was saying that. Of course, this wasn't my unit to work on. Um, this wasn't um, really high. I only had a few weeks left, so I didn't say anything. I just was like, oh, my gosh, like, what is this career I am starting? Right. Um, th that was really what went through my head. Um, I got offered a job on that unit, of course, and declined because if that was what they're doing when I'm a student, I'm not about to subject myself to what they're going to do to me when I work there day in and day out. Right. So, um, but that's just the culture sometimes. And can you get into this work, into this line of work and have that same mentality? Um, you know, like eat your young, like, oh, you made a mistake. It's your fault. Right. Um, I guess you can, and unfortunately, that's how this person sees the profession and this area of nursing, but I know if you listen to this podcast and you're at this level of episode, unless this is the very first one, which congratulations, thank you for listening, um, you're going to get my um, my take and how I approach the work that I do and what I'm really about Um but, you know, if you have followed me and you have listened, you know that I'm the biggest advocate for nurses and doctors in a complex healthcare system that really doesn't have a great way to support them. They just, they, they just don't. Um, I'm going to give you an example of this. So I was working on a unit in the hospital and every month we would have staff meetings. And at these staff meetings, for a good while, you know, we had pretty okay staffing. And at these staff meetings, we were, you know, praised because our fall, our unit falls were at zero or maybe one. And, you know, maybe it was like, you know, we educated the patient not to get out of bed, but the patient was like, I don't listen to people. And they got out of bed anyway. I don't know. But it was, we were always praised for our falls. Uh, because we weren't having any and it was amazing and it felt really great and like I said we had okay staffing so we were doing a decent job taking care of people it felt really awesome and then something happened I think it was something at the um, executive level in the hospital but all of a sudden out of nowhere we lost a ton of we lost almost all of our CNAs and we lost um, after that nurses began trickling out and leaving the unit because you know, we nurses need our CNAs, especially if you're working on a med surge floor, because, um, you know, I could be in room 15 taking that patient to the bathroom and they need an assistance. And if I leave that patient, that patient will fall. So I have to stay with that patient. 
Now, 417 calls out because they also need to go to the bathroom. Well, I can't safely leave 415 until I go into 47 to go into 417 to get them on the toilet. So, I have so 417 has to wait because I'm already in the middle of taking care of 415. If I have a CNA, I could be handling 415, keep 415, you know, very safe, and then the patient in room 17 the CNA can come and take them to the bathroom so that they're taken care of and their needs are met when they need to be met. I mean, let's be, let's face it. People don't want to sit around and wait when they have to go to the bathroom. And quite frankly, a lot of people can't because they just have urgency and they'll pee their pants. And that's embarrassing whether you're in the hospital or not, whether I've personally cleaned up as a nurse, hundreds and thousands of patients who have had accidents and it doesn't bother me one bit. It bothers them. And that is what matters here. It's not about what I'm used to. It's about what the level that they're used to and what they do and don't want to tolerate, right? And so when you have no CNAs and you're just one person and you're doing all of this and you're doing the best you can, but you can't be in more than one place at any time, it affects patient safety. And I talk about this all the time. This is a prime example. So if I'm in four, if I'm in room 15 and room 17 calls out and has to go to the bathroom, I can, it's on my radar. I'm going there as soon as I can. I've asked them to tell the patient that. Of course, there's nobody really to go back and cycle to tell the patient I'll be right there. They just are sitting there wondering, staring at the ceiling like no one's coming, no one's coming. I have to go to the bathroom because I can't get in there to tell them and I don't have anybody to assist me. So that patient gets up out of bed to go to the bathroom on their own. It's unsafe. They know that. They've been instructed not to. There might even be an alarm, a bed alarm going off. However, I'm still with 15 and I can't get into room 17 because I, I, I just can't. If I leave 15, 15 falls. If I don't get to 17 in time, 17 falls. I'm one person stuck you know, trying to hurry 15 back to bed, which also, you know, if you rush somebody who's a fall risk, that increases fall risk. But I know I got to get to four, you know, I got to get to the patient in 17. And so if you do this, you could do this once or twice and, you know, and and it's okay. But if you're going to do this over months, you're, guess what's going to happen to your fall risk? Your fall risk is going to increase. Guess what's going to happen? Injuries increase. Guess what's going to happen ultimately to lawsuits? Increase. And nurses know that. And, you know, there were a lot of nurses on this unit and once the CNAs were gone and they were working in this environment without assistance, seeing whether, you know, they had a fall or not, seeing the, the just the risk of it, right? Because we know we're, we assess fall risk. That's what we do as nurses. So we know that if I can't get to that patient in 17 in time, that that's a huge fall risk. They're going to get out of bed. They're going to fall. I, I have to I have to get to it and and you're stressing about it and it's it's morally stressing because you don't want to ever have any of your patients in any kind of situation where they're at risk because they're they're waiting for you or you know XYZ and so what was happening on this floor uh, naturally as you can see is that as the staffing went down the falls went up and it's it's just that that reason. And then you know once this all the CNAs had had been um I I don't they just disappeared. I don't know where they went. They disappeared. They no longer worked there. There um there wasn't even an open job for them to 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 know that we had positions open. Um 
but that that's a different story but anyway so we lost the cnas and then other nurses were like this is high risk and i don't want to be involved in this so they were leaving the unit because they were like i'm not going to put my license on the line to continue to work in this environment when i'm asked to be in three places all at once and if i'm not then you know somebody could get hurt and i'm ultimately assigned to these patients and so they're leaving the unit myself included i did leave that unit for this exact reason um but what was happening that i was seeing in the staffing um meetings was that what was a unit that was once praised for having no falls now as our staffing is decreasing our falls are increasing and when you're looking at that um i you know the way i look at that is oh my gosh you know they don't have the resources they you know these nurses know what they're supposed to do clearly they got to zero falls for a long time and maintain that and now there's having more and more falls what's the what's the what's the differential here so what's the common denominator it was staffing we didn't have the support that we needed to do the influ to do the interventions and to take care of our patients the way that we needed to that is how it should be approached. That's the proper way. However, on this unit, it was at every monthly staffing meeting, they would pull up just the fall risk chart and say, why are you having increased falls? Do better. Why are you having increased falls? Do better. When somebody rings out to go to the bathroom, you get in there. Why don't you just do every two hour voiding? Because that's the intervention, the proper intervention to do. But if it takes 40 minutes to get one patient to the bathroom and you have five, I don't know, you do that math. You can't get it all done in two hours, right? You can't get back to patient one if you're only on patient three. So they basically put that entire blame on the staff as to why the falls were increasing. Now I did at one meeting ask, I was like, hey, can I see the staffing chart next to that fall risk chart? Because um, I think there's an inverse relationship. And um, I never saw that, although um, I saw it you know, in practice. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that when things like this happen, you know, you go from the star unit to being like the worst unit in the hospital what's the difference the difference was the staffing however what the story that was told to the nurses and the staff was that they're just not good enough they're not fast enough they're not trying hard enough you know if they just knew more about fall risks they could do more implementation um why are they so lazy um you know i mean they never used the words lazy but it was really implied when it was like you know if i see you sitting and charting for you know 22 seconds longer than you should you could have easily gotten that patient to the bathroom and they would have never fallen it's like well i have to do my charting because if i don't chart then i didn't do it and i'm definitely charting to a t in this situation because i'm making sure that all my t's are crossed and all my i's are dotted because if there is a fall, I want everybody to know that I literally did all that I could. And um, so, you know, and, and even in documentation, there are ways that you can embed hints that the staffing wasn't great. Um, although the hospital would never want you to do that. They'll ask you to take it out, right? If you're like, well, patient called for Bell, nobody was available. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, it's just about the facts, right? So, so anyway, so the point here is that it's this eat your young, and they're still doing it to this day. We might not be telling people, I don't do new nurses, 
leave me alone until you have some experience and you're not annoying to me, you know, um, you're not good enough to talk to me, that kind of stuff, you know, bullying one-to-one that does exist and I have seen it. I take students out to, to clinical and I see it still in student, in clinical setting. Um, it's a really great, it, it kind of sucks in the moment for the students, but it's really great post-clinical conference to sit and talk to them and be like, okay, you're on your unit. That's your unit. That's who you're working with. What are you going to do about it? Right? Because they're, they're going to face it at one point or another, probably not to the extreme that some of us nurses who kind of grew up in that eight year young, they're more coming into it when the norm isn't to do that. So they are very lucky, but I still always use that as a learning tool for them because you know, difficult interpersonal relationships just happen, right? In in the workplace, it just happens. Um, and it only takes one bad seed to ruin a whole entire unit. So definitely, you know, you definitely want to be proactive about that as a staff and as a manager. If you have one bad seed who's like, I don't do that. She, they could set the tone for the entire culture for the unit. And now you have a unit that doesn't support each other. And guess what? Your fall risk is going to go up because if I'm in 15 and no, everybody's standing around chatting um, or, you know, they don't really have anything going on to keep 17 safe, someone else could go in to take care of 17. But if we're not a supportive culture, no one's going to go help me. There's going to be, oh, look, look at MJ. She's just floundering over there. You know, laugh at me, right? So anyway, so on this unit, they, they kind of blame the staff. But really, it was the staff knew what they were supposed to do. The staff was an amazing staff, full of extremely knowledgeable, amazing, compassionate, kind, the best nurses out there. You can just be the best, but if you don't have the resources, you need to, to implement everything that you know. You know, you're, you're doing the best with what you've got. And that kind of ties into what I talked about last week with the standard of care and that the circumstances that you're working under. That's the kind of stuff that I've seen. And so I know to look for it when I'm looking at, you know, at a situation. And it's because of experiences like that where I have seen that you might have you know, say a patient fell and that the nurse taking care of that patient might be the most knowledgeable, the most compassionate, the most caring, the most skilled, the literal best nurse. If there was an award for a best nurse, it could be this nurse. But the circumstances that they're under, they can't they can't practice the best that they can. Um, and what I'm always cognizant about and what always bring it back to within myself and to, you know, any attorney clients I'm working with and even to other nurses recently with the podcast that I've been talking to is that when you can't operate at your highest and you know what you're capable of, you know what you need to do and you just don't have what you need to do it. It is so internally demoralizing and it's the greatest source of stress and burnout. Like it, it damages almost your, your like on a soul level. If you're like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what I need to get this patient safe to prevent a fall and I don't have it and there's nothing I can do. Like I can't go out and hire staff that has to be management. I don't even know, you know, you, so it's really morally stressful, especially if something goes wrong, right? So say that I was in 15 and I was getting that patient to the toilet 
and 17 rings out and you know this patient walks really slowly maybe they had to to take a poop and they wanted to wash their hands and I couldn't you know couldn't get them back to to their to their bed and to safety and you know it took me maybe another 10 15 minutes well 17 doesn't know that right because when you're a patient in a hospital it's just you right and all you're thinking about is you you're like I got to go to the bathroom and nobody's coming and no is anybody coming right because you know what if I was in a code and your code can last an hour or more and if 17 rings out to go to the bathroom and there's nobody to take that patient to the bathroom for me they could be waiting over an hour for me like I just can't let someone die literally so I could go take someone to the toilet um but to 17, 17 is 17. They have to go to the bathroom. They rang out. They asked for help. Nobody came. So 17 is going to get up. 17 gets up immediately falls because they can't stand on their feet. They're too weak. They're, I don't know. Maybe they are too, um, you know, their balance is off or maybe they just had hip surgery and they just really can't stand and they're, they're just not stable in their pelvis. Who knows? But they get up because they're like, it's been, a, you know, it's been enough time. No one's coming. No one is going to come. I'm going to pee my pants. That's going to be morally stressful for me. And I'm going to take a moral, you know, damage here. So I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom. And they get up and they fall. Well, now when I, you know, I hear of the fall, like I get my patient to safety. Um, and, and I go and, you know, we assess the patient and we do all of the proper things after the fall. Well, I'm going to go home from that situation in tears. Because I knew exactly what needed to be done to take care of that patient to prevent that fall, but I didn't have the resources to do it, and that's going to destroy me, right? For, for a time, you know, you don't, they say, you know, things happen and don't let it bother you, but, you know, if it's like a one-off here and there, and then when it starts to be quite a bit, and then you start seeing the same things happening to your co-workers and people are leaving because of it they're like well, I, just, I can't be involved in this this unit is dangerous for my license like I just can't take this I'm watching them harm people I can't do it and you leave what do you how how can you it's hard to go on it's hard to move on to the next step heaven forbid you know I talked to some nurses and healthcare providers who maybe weren't given the proper training right? They started a new position and they were like, off with you. And they were like, what do you mean? I, I don't have training. And they're like, oh, you're a nurse. Like, go nurse. Just just off you go. Go nurse. And you make a mistake because you weren't taught how to use one piece of equipment. And I mean, I don't know, like, let's say you had to mix a medication and you weren't taught on the proper way to use the adapter and you were never taught which was the proper solution to mix this medication with. Was it saline? Was it water? Was it something else? All solutions have something different. And nobody taught you how to do that. You are new an employee, so you don't even really know where to look. You don't have support. They're just like, go nurse. Off with you. Go nurse. Um, or you're in, you know, pharmacy. Like, go, go be a pharmacist. Like, off with you. You know what you're doing. Go. And heaven forbid you make a mistake, you put the wrong solution in, you put too much or too little. Um, and, you know, I mean, it could cost someone their life. Or maybe that wasn't even what happened. And it was, you know, something else. But, you, you know, if you asked for the training, you knew you needed the training, they weren't giving you the training. 
and you you did the best that you could, you know, it it just really does it it does a lot on someone. And I think that's why a lot of nurses go for um and you know, other there's there's CNAs that do this, there's therapists that do this. Um it's not just nursing. Um I'm not sure if doctors work as travel doctors. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a thing. Um, but the reason that more people are going traveling is because you can work in a place and if it is unsafe, you're not tied there. You don't have your benefits from there. You don't have to get involved. You don't have to go to the staff meeting and be told, you know, if you were just a better nurse, these patients wouldn't be falling. Never mind the fact that if I just had support, these patients wouldn't be falling. As evidenced by when I had support, nobody was falling and now I have no support and people are falling. You know, you just you're just not tied into that. You're not intermingled in that. And you can get in and get out. And if you see something's unsafe, you can just get out. Just like I was doing more traveling when I was working in long-term care. I tried to work for an agency. I didn't travel like across the United States. I just traveled locally. And I was put into situations. um, The reason I left, one issue was that I was put into situations and being told, you're a nurse, go nurse. And I'm like, I don't even know where to find stuff. And none of these patients have armbands. How am I supposed to identify people? And they're like, there's a picture in their medical record, match up the face. And I was like, well, I'm sorry, Grandma Susie got her hair done, was wearing some makeup on day one when you took that picture. And Grandma Susie, that's not Grandma Susie, right? Grandma Susie day one and Grandma Susie day 101, that's different people, right? You see those memes that are like, you know, me before coffee and me after coffee, mom me versus, you know, with my friends me, we're different people. Well, Grandma Susie, the day she walked in with her hair done, her makeup, all dressed up and ready to go, um, feeling her best versus Grandma Susie two years later, which she'll just naturally change because of the aging process, but also she's not getting her hair done. She's not wearing makeup. Um, it's way different. And I never felt safe. So I would literally go around and take my CNA and be like, okay, it's this Grandma Susie. And they would have to identify her for me because I was not passing medications to somebody unless I could properly identify them. However, the expectation was that I was just supposed to guess. And so, of course, I there were a couple places in my state that had you operate under that circumstance? And I said, no, maybe the staff nurses, because they're there day in and day out, and they really know the people that that process works for them. But I was a traveler, and I had never seen any of these people a day in my life. And if they didn't look exactly like the picture that was in the system, I had to, to be safe, I had to go find someone and have them identify the patient for me. And no, you cannot ask the patient, especially with someone with dementia. You could say, are you Grandma Susie? And their name could be Joe Schmo. And they're still going to say, yeah, I'm Grandma Susie. That's my name. And so, no, you can't ask the patient. You have to have a, you have to have two forms of identification to properly identify a patient to pass medication. Standard of care, there it is. And so I did that. I had the the picture and I had a person to tell me the name, date of birth and verify that this was indeed Grandma Susie who needed her meds that day. So that took off, you know, a good handful of places that I would go to in this travel position because like I, I won, I could not live with myself if I made an error because I know I have to identify patients. And if I can't, then um, I'm not going to be, I'm not passing meds. 
in that facility. And literally as a nurse in, in long-term care, you're there to pass meds and to chart on the regulated charting. That's it. It's all you do. Um, maybe you assess if it's acute skilled, but um, mostly, you know, when they're giving you 30 patients and they're like, go be a nurse, all you have time to do is pass their meds. Maybe. I actually was never able, and the handful of times I tried, I was never able to complete a med pass because it took so long to find someone to identify these people that I just never could get through it. Um, another thing was they would give you really high ratios, and because of that, the staff nurses were taking shortcuts. So they would pour meds for two or three patients, stuff them in their pocket, unlabeled, and go and deliver medications. And they're like, well, I just know that this is this patient's and this is this patient's, and maybe they do. I will give them the benefit of the doubt. They hand these meds out day in and day out. They know what the metoprolol looks like from their facility. They know what this looks like, and so they know this patient gets four pills. I give it to them every single day. I've been doing it for two years. And so maybe they do know, but I was a traveler, and I did not know. So I was doing proper med practices, and I was, in addition to identifying my patients, I was also only drawing up the medications right before I was giving them to that one patient. So I was not drawing up two or three patients, and maybe, you, you know, they would see them drop, there'd be two patients in a room, and they would get all the meds for those two patients ready, and then go in and pass them one after another, so they didn't have to go back and forth. Um, I was not willing to do that because that's not proper standard of care. Proper standard of care is that I, I verify my meds, I'm looking at my label, I'm drawing them up, I'm looking at it one more time before I give it, and I immediately go give it to the patient. I do not pocket medications to give later. That is, um, you know, that was something I wasn't willing to do. So had to take myself out of those places. Um, and then, you know, giving me a couple of places were trying to give me really high ratios, you know, 36 patients to one nurse. And I have a bachelor's degree. Um, everyone else in the whole entire facility was only an LPN. So I was also the charge nurse in a facility I've never stepped foot in. I don't even know how many units there are. I don't know how many beds there are. I don't know the staff. I don't know anything. I actually walked out of that shift. I refused the assignment because it wasn't safe. And two, I had no business being in charge of that whole facility for an eight-hour shift. I didn't even know how many floors the facility had, honestly. So um, so that was something that I had to, you know, you, you just have to advocate for yourself. And I took myself off of that. And then I think the what really did me in, you know, there were a few great places that I would go to. Um, and they started, other nurses started to, um, fill those positions and started to be a fight to get shifts. And, uh, cause we weren't going to the places that weren't treating us properly and we're putting our license at risk and having us at risk of injuring someone. So we weren't going there. Um, and I just, I, I couldn't, you know, there were only like two facilities that were doing really great work that I was willing to go to. And that was kind of where everyone else was willing to go to. So um, I ended up just leaving that position. It wasn't worth it. And of course, the uh, the management of the agency was like, guys, we got to fill these other places. I'm like, well, those other places need filling because of their policies. Nobody wants to work there. I don't want to work there. Staff doesn't want to work there. They can work there themselves. I don't know. Close down. Like they're probably safer that way anyway. I don't really know. Um, it really felt like the wild, wild west in that world, and I wasn't willing to do it. So I 
maybe worked there for like a month or two. Um, and I saw all of that in just a month or two. At probably I went to maybe 10 different facilities. It was, it was, I was just shocked. I was like, okay, I was working an outpatient at the time. So I was working in a medical office and doing triage and nursing visits and changing catheters. And then I went to this like wild, wild west. And I was like, well, catheters look amazing right now. I'm just going to stick with what I know. And if you have a UTI, like I am your girl. If you are in a nursing home, that's for someone else. And um, so that was my stint in long-term care. But the point is it really takes a toll and you have to really be willing to advocate for yourself and for your license. And we're not really taught that in nursing school a lot, but the, if you don't do it, the consequences are really, um, they're, they're just really grave consequences, right? So like somebody falls, you make a med error, something happens. Well, that's just a thing that happens. What happens later on when you live with that, it, can, it can destroy you inside if you don't properly heal from it. Um, you know, we're humans. We can't just see things and then just walk away from it. Um, we can, like, stuff it down so that, you know, we can keep going. Um, take a code, right? You're coding a patient in a room. A patient dies, you know, for no error. Just, you know, that just stuff happens. People are really sick in the hospital and then cleaning come, you know, you, you take care of your patient, your patient, uh, moves on and then housekeeping comes and then you're getting an admission within an hour and you have to be like ready to fully take care of that next patient in that exact room where you just saw some things and it's hard sometimes, you know, it's hard sometimes. And that's just in the natural course of life, right? So some people come to the hospital sick and they die like that just happens. But when it's, you know, and we, we still have a hard time with that because we're not allowed like a moment to process. Like maybe you would go in the bathroom and process, cry, do whatever you have to do, but we're not, um, you know, we have to like leave that code and then immediately go take care of our patients because we know within an hour we're going to get an admission in that room and everyone else is going to have to be on, um, you know, the back burner for a moment. So you got to take care of everybody else. And there's really no moment to like breathe and process what you just saw. And, um, you know, I mean, I always love to do postmortem care. It sounds awful, but that was my moment to like process and and honor what happened and and that person who was in, you know, who I who I was taking care of. But you're really not given that that space. And then if it's, you know, if you think that there's an error involved, that carries with you. I've spoken recently to, um, you know, I always invite nurses, doctors, healthcare providers to contact me either by email. And um, a lot of them have been coming to me through social media. And I've been having one to one conversations with them. And they're coming to me after making an error. And they're like, well, it happened because this happened, or it happened because I didn't have training, and I was forced to do XYZ. It didn't happen because I didn't have support and I, the unit wasn't staffed and I just did my best and it, my best wasn't enough. And this can be five, six, 10 years down the line that they're coming to me with this stuff. And it's still raw. Like they're still crying and I'm here to honor them. And I'm here to do this work because it's for them. And yeah, it's for them to make sure that they feel seen and heard and that they're not alone because they are not alone. This stuff is happening across 
all over the United States, I'm sharing with you a small fraction of the stories. I have my own stories and that doesn't even dent what is out there, right? I mean, people have seen some things and been through some things that I could only imagine in my wildest dreams. And I've been through enough that has inspired me to start a podcast about it. So, um, and I don't share all the stories because some are just so raw and I'm honoring the providers that are talking to me and, you know, I, I did a social media post recently because sometimes I feel like I sit here and talk to myself and I'm like, okay, there are listeners. Yay. But, um, you know, I look at the reviews and stuff, but I'm like, am I making a difference? Am I making a difference? Because I'm not doing this for likes and I'm doing this for reviews, although I love them. It helps get the show out to more people so that more, you know, the more people that are hearing this message, the um, the more impact it can have. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the impact. I'm looking to contribute to bettering healthcare and making it safer and, and more just in all the any way that I can in all the ways that I can and to get more listeners and reviews um, and ratings will help further that mission. But what I really care about is making a difference. And over the past couple of weeks, I just want to honor the folks that I've spoken with and really thank you all for sharing your stories with me. I hold them near and dear to my heart and it really is fuel to keep going because I, you know, you're telling me the difference that it's made in your own journey and your own healing to know that you're not alone and somebody hears you, somebody sees you. And I'm blessed that that gets to be me. Um, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. But also, I know that I have this experience, I have this knowledge, and I can share it because I'm not the only legal nurse out there. I don't review cases a lot for expert um, anymore. It's a lot of behind the scenes stuff because I'm doing um, podcasting and things like that. But I know there are a lot of other legal nurses that are listening and they're soaking up this information. And when you're looking at standard of care, you can look at standard of care through the lens the hospital teaches you as in what you should and shouldn't do, but you also need to broaden that and look at the circumstances. And you know, you've seen it. We have seen it. We've seen some things. Um, we've experienced some things and that experience, you can't Google that. You can't Google somebody's experience. You can Google the standard of care all day, every day, but can you Google how that standard of care is applied in different circumstances? You know, how would the fall risk interventions really stand up to a unit without proper staffing? How would, um, you know, UTI prevention and catheter um, catheterizations, um, you know, the risk of developing a UTI from a catheter, how would that standard of care stand up to a place that has no way to properly um, insert a catheter under sterile conditions? Um, what if they were out of, you know, betadine? What if they were out of sterile um, kits and you had to, you had to insert and it wasn't sterile? Um, you know, you risk, you know, your patient suffers if you can't, you know, insert the catheter. So we do, we do the best with what we can. Um, and if nobody's taught sterile technique, um, can they really properly insert a catheter under sterile conditions? No, they can't. So you really just need to know what you're looking for. And y'all keep, keep, keep sending your stories. Um, your stories are safe with me. If you don't want them shared, 
we will not share them. If you want to come on the podcast and do an interview, I've had a lot of people um, reaching out for that. I'm here for it. Let's have a discussion about it. If you want me to share your story, um, I would love that. Um, But you all inspire me and you keep me going. And that's why I am here. So I feel like it's a full circle moment from when I started. And I had somebody telling me that I'm just out I'm just out to get people, right? I'm just eating my young, and that's why I became a legal nurse. Well, that is so far from the truth. Um, It doesn't even bother me. It just, you know, I really keep it in the back of my mind, the fact that, you know, people, people experience stuff like that. They experience people who are um, out to get them or are making them feel less than or, um, even gaslighting, right? So like the fall risk, that's that's a form of gaslighting to say, it's nothing on us. It's all on you. It's your fault. You are in you're like, no, I just I, I needed help. And I didn't have help. And no, it's not. It's, it's you. Um, you know, all of these things are happening. And, you know, I keep that in the back of my mind as I'm moving forward. Any case I review for the podcast in real life, um, any nurse or, or doctor or therapist that I'm speaking to um, or pharmacist, like whoever, all of that's in the back of my mind and I carry that with me because I know that what I'm really about is safe healthcare. What I'm really about is supporting nurses and doctors so they can deliver safe healthcare. What I'm really about is preventing needless costs to medical malpractice, to falls, to pressure injuries that insurance won't pay for, to other complications. Um, All you need is a lot of times support, right? That whole unit could, if they just had support, they wouldn't be having falls. And it was literally the only change was that they didn't have staffing anymore. Um, And so you can fix it with staffing. So you can fix things with staffing. I say this all the time. Staffing ratios matter. Um, healing matters, advocating for yourself and your license matters. I know you think it's selfish, but is it really selfish for me to say, I'm not taking this assignment because it's unsafe because I can't deliver the medications. This was a seizure unit that I wasn't, you know, was going to work 36 patients. And if I missed a seizure med, they were going to have seizures, And, you know, that would have ruined my day and it would have been even less meds that I could pass and even more seizures and all the complications along with that. And it was really, really, really unsafe. So I advocated for myself and my license and I said, I'm not accepting this assignment. It's unsafe. It's my job as a nurse, according to my Nursing Practice Act and the laws that govern my license for me to refuse an assignment that is unsafe. It's on me to do it and I'm going to do it and I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I mean, partly self-preservation because I'm a nurse and I nurse. And so if I lose my license, I can't nurse anymore, but also it's the best thing I could do for the patients that are there showing up and giving, you know, half of yourself and half of what you can do and being a part of the problem it harms the patients. And I know some people, you know, if you worked on that unit and that was all you knew and you can't just go, you know, work there for years and then be like, oh, well, I got no backup. I'm not accepting this assignment because uh, you'll just get fired, right? I got put on the um, do not rehire 
or, um, yeah, I think it was do not rehire list. I don't remember what they called it, but it was essentially like if I signed up for a shift, they were going to cancel it because, um, I wasn't willing to um, be a quote team player and take an unsafe assignment. So, which was fine. Cause I put myself on that list anyway, before they, um, I wasn't going back, but if that was my livelihood, that matters, right? I worked for an agency. So I was like, I'm just going to go to the safe places. Like, I don't care about you. You know, you self-destruct all you want. I'm going to go over here and give some good care for people who appreciate good care. And, but if that was your livelihood, like it matters, right? You have to have a backup plan. You have to be able to, um, have something to fall back on. And a lot of people don't, and it can be really hard. And when all of this was happening, I did reach out to the board of nursing and I asked for help. I was like, what is going on here? Um, I'm seeing all of this stuff and is there any recourse? Like, can we do anything? And they were like, no, but you better not accept any unsafe assignments. Good for you for doing that. But if you had taken that assignment and we found out, we would pull your license so fast. And I'm just like, you know, it just leaves you wondering what about the people who do work there? What about the staff? Um, Clearly they don't have enough staff if they needed um, travelers, but also there were staff that worked there. So um, it all matters. You matter and you need to take care of yourself because that's how we take care of our patients. Um, This is just one example, but I could give you a million and probably um, will over the course of several episodes coming up. But The message that I want to get out today is to, one, love each other. I say that all the time. Love and support each other because we're all going through it. And we don't really know what we've been through prior to. Um, And, you know, meet, meet each other where you're at. Support each other. Hold each other up. Number two, advocate for yourself. Advocate for your license because that is the most selfless thing you can do. If enough of us advocate for our license and for unsafe staffing, then hospitals can't make it the norm to understaff if they can't get anybody to work there. So they'll have to they'll have to adapt and they'll have to um, they'll they'll have they'll have to increase staffing and make it safe. Hopefully there are a lot of laws out um, trying to make some minimum staffing and some standard Uh, which is only a first step, right? Because you can say one nurse can take four patients on a unit, but if all four of those patients are extremely ill and can't move or get up, and it doesn't say that you need to have any CNA help, you could take four of those patients all by yourself. Um, It really doesn't fix the problem, but it's a great first step. You know, I see, talk to nurses who are like, on a unit where the standard for me was one nurse to four patients, one nurse to five patients, they are like one nurse to nine patients. It's it's insane what people are um, are subjected to and then expected to be held to the same standard as somebody who only was taking care of four patients. It's, it's beyond me. So advocate for yourself. And number three, heal. Give yourself time. Give yourself space. Love yourself because you matter because you're not alone. Keep listening. You'll, if you feel alone, just keep listening. Um, I don't know. Can you stand the sound of my voice? Who knows? You're here. You've lasted this long in this episode. So I can't be doing that bad, but I tell the stories. I share your stories. I hear you. I see you. Um, and until next time, um, keep your heads up.